0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a couple birthdays to celebrate, with one being the Linux kernel itself and also Valve's Steam Play or Proton project. IBM announced some great news regarding their open source efforts for power. Ubiports announced OTA 10 of Ubuntu Touch. The Pinebook Pro public pre-orders have arrived. Dell announced their new Linux-powered XPS laptop. And Nvidia has some new beta drivers that seem very promising. Then we'll check out some app news with a new AMD GPU settings tool, an APK downloader for Linux, and a slick way to create your own Electron desktop apps. Later in the show, we've got some new distro releases from Netrunner and EasyOS. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tonell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can start on DigitalOcean with, Digital with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Also, a quick note I'm going to be launching some new stuff pretty soon for the channel that will be utilizing DigitalOcean. So, you know, thanks again for that because. DigitalOcean makes it possible to make these things work, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to let you all see what it is, hopefully pretty soon. First in the show this week are some birthdays that we want to celebrate, and first of all, the Linux kernel itself, and that is actually kind of interesting because it's a little bit debated about what the actual birthday is, so I will probably mention this again in the next time there's the the next birthday that happens, but anyway... Uh, the, the first, the, the thing is that there's actually like four different dates that could be associated as the birth date of Linux. And Linus Torvalds doesn't really care about which one is which. Like what is the actual birth date? And he kind of says that there's two that have a potential like valid point to be the birthday. So for example, the August 25th birth uh, date of 1991 was the time where he sent the mailing list post about him making this project. And also September 17th, 1991 was the first public release of the Linux kernel, which I believe was 0.2. And it's uh, so either one of those could technically be the birth date, depending on your perspective. I like to just celebrate both because I think Linux as, as a project and as the kernel and as the, like, it's such an important project in general. I'm okay if it has two birthdays. So I think the... The impact and the amount of great stuff that has come from this project, you know, two birthdays is okay with me. But also another project that's fantastic and has its birthday recently was actually this. I mean, this week it was a few days ago was the Proton project or the Steam Play project from Valve. Now Proton was the code name for this project, and Steam Play is the more broad term that Valve uses. And the reason why they named it Proton is because they wanted to create a project that they could still work open source, but kind of work in like a little bit of a mystery because the word Proton doesn't really mean anything in terms of this kind of thing. So they chose it so that it was kind of like a generic term that would be hard to guess what it was. It was still in the open in the development, but at the same time, it was a little obscured. Um, But they released it on August 21st of last year. And what's crazy is that it's only been one year, and there's been so much that's happened. So when they first released it, I think there was like 11 games that were on that list. Maybe a little more, but I'm, I think it was 11. So then now let's fast forward to one year from that, which was in you know this recent time. And they now have over 5,900 games that work. In some way. So like for example, there's a different rating system in uh, Proton. So there's uh, ProtonDB.com is a great website because they keep track of what games are working. People can submit reviews and they can get ratings heading on this game. And then like Collective, as the community tests everything out, we kind of find out what is working and what isn't. So this is an awesome website. It actually started as a Google spreadsheet, I think, uh, and it eventually grew into this fantastic site that has a lot of potential and uh like has so many benefits to it and everything um so anyway you can actually connect your steam account to your proton account and it will tell you what games you have it it's really cool website but moving on from that the games that are available in the rating system are five thousand nine hundred. now the different rating systems are platinum gold silver and bronze there's also borked but that doesn't really matter because that just means it doesn't work at all so bronze means it kind of works depending on your hardware and if you have some certain um, like flags set in the game and that kind of thing. There's like many workarounds so it can kind of work. Or, and that's there's 400 of those games. Then there's silver, which is slightly better. It's less of a headache to do and it doesn't have to have it, less specific hardware and that kind of thing. And you have 750 games of that. Then there's gold, which is ba- basically works mostly and there might be a little bit of a thing that you have to do, but most of the time it just works. And that's 1,160 games. And then we get into the Platinum level, the Platinum rating. That's 1,129 games. And that rating means that the game just boots. You ins- You buy it, you install the game, and it just runs through Proton without any extra effort. And that is ridiculous because we go from one, uh, 11... One list as 11 on the day that they release it. I think it might have been more than that, but I don't remember. I think it was 11. And now we have 1,129 games that are platinum rating on ProtonDB. That is awesome. You know, that's awesome. Anyway, let's move on because, you know, this is a great, you should go check out the website for ProtonDB as well if you are any interested in in gaming at all. It's really cool that all the stuff that you can do on that site. Um, So yeah, let's move on. Up next in the show is some really great news from the UbiPorts team, and that is Ubuntu Touch OTA 10 has been released. Now, if you're not aware, Ubuntu Touch is a operating system, a Linux mobile operating system, that was originally created by Canonical, the people who make Ubuntu, and it was eventually decided that they didn't want to fund the development of Ubuntu Touch anymore. Because it wasn't, it was taking, costing way too much money and it wasn't becoming what they wanted it to be. So they decided to stop funding it. However, they did open source everything. So the community decided to pick it up. Specifically, the uh, Ubiports community decided to pick it up and start developing it themselves because they were already doing a lot of development on it anyway. So it kind of made sense of them to just, you know, take it over and make their own version of it. They still call it Ubuntu Touch, and that's why there's a little bit of a weird terminology for that um if you're not aware because it's you know it's technically from canonical originally but no longer is a part of canonical uh and UBports team now run it and it is quite a good uh thing that this happened because they have made a lot of cool changes Now, I mean, because they're such a small team, they can't do as fast a development that Canonical could have, but they are doing a lot of great things and listening to the community great, so it's a lot of cool stuff that is coming, and there's actually things that I'm excited for the next release or maybe a future release anyway. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute, but the thing that happened in OTA 10... These are a lot of stuff that was like, there's a lot of development in this, includes many small fixes that should please all users. Like some of those stuff being hardware compatibility and compatibility improvements for like the Nexus 5, the Fairphone 2, and the OnePlus One. I actually have Ubuntu Touch OTA 10 on my OnePlus One right here. And I think OnePlus One is the best phone for Ubuntu Touch at the moment. So if you wanted to try out Ubuntu Touch, I would say get the OnePlus One because it's a pretty powerful phone, while also being fairly cheap you can get it for like 50 dollars and stuff or maybe even less depending on where you get it from uh like swappa is a website that has like um they have like certified devices i'm not really sure how they certify them but you can get a phone from them for like 75 dollars uh, or so and they supposedly have them certified and that they work and stuff i got this from a friend so it's not it wasn't any remotely that cost um actually it was technically free because they gave it to me but whatever i put a bunch of touch on here and it is a uh, fantastic um fantastic os there are some issues with it's not it's not for everybody but i do like it quite a bit so if you are interested definitely check that out Uh, i'll have a link in the show notes to swappa as well as the uh, ubuntu touch and ubiports website but that's not that's not everything i wanted to you know, Before we move on, there's also some improvements to the Fairphone 2 camera orientation, because there was this issue where you take a photo, and then for some reason the photo would be in a different orientation where you hold the phone. So you hold the phone horizontally, it would have a vertical photo, which is not ideal, of course. Uh, and they also uh, fixed some stuff that I think is very important, even for people who have... One of the better phones, the OnePlus One. And that is because there was an issue where when you record a video, the audio would be out of sync with the video sometimes. Well, most of the time, really. Uh, They have now fixed that. So the devices, the audio and, and the camera and the video will be in sync, which is fantastic because that is important. And I'm happy to hear that. So more on that, and more other stuff that's coming. And I, I there's, a, there are some issues with some uh, Wi-Fi ba- Wi-Fi based geolocation tool being uh, uh, removed. Um, they actually did that because there were some weird issues with sometimes the location data would be super fast and sometimes it would be completely inaccurate so they decided to move it and look at experimental options or they, they're experiment, experimenting with other solutions to see if they can find a better replacement so right now there's a little bit of an issue about location information so you need to check out the blog post if you do want to check it out and you, and, and GPS stuff really matters to you so I'll have that linked in the show notes as well um, but what's really cool is that you can see in this this version of the device? This is the OTA ten, and you can see this is the uh, scopes. This is the scope system that Ubuntu or Canonical created, and it's pretty cool. It works. I like some of it. I like think you slide, you slide from the right, and it gives you these different options. And you open another app, and it kind of has like these little, they're like hidden behind each other, and you just kind of pick which one you want. Um, but it also has this other thing. That, by the way, if you're listening to the audio version, I'm sorry. There's a lot of visual things that I'm showing in this particular episode. Um, I hope I'm kind of saying them all verbally as well. But anyway, after this, I'll move on. But you'll see this uh, slide out panel right here. This is actually a really cool feature that I don't use. Because it's it's actually slower than just doing this and going back to all of them. Like, if, I'm doing, if I want another application, I can just do that and go back to all of them. So it's actually slower, and it doesn't really make any sense while that's there. However, it's because there's no desktop on, or home screen on the OS. The, in a future release, they're actually going to have a desktop. And I saw a demonstration of it on Destination Linux when we had Dalton Durst on for an interview, and he demonstrated the, uh, the new desktop that they're working on, and it looks pretty slick. So I can't wait to see that. Anyway, well, try that out anyway. And uh, yeah, so speaking of which, we had Dalton Durst on, on uh, Destination Linux episode 135 to talk about UB ports and Ubuntu Touch. So if you're interested in more about this particular topic, I'll have a link to the, in the show notes to all the things I've talked about, including the episode to Destination Linux to watch that interview if you would like to. So link in the show notes. Up next in the show are some more things that I'm excited about and that is the stuff from pine64 so first of all the pine book pro public pre-order has arrived and quickly sold out so unfortunately this is a this is a fantastic thing and i'm, I'm looking forward to trying out i guess i already have mine on pre-order so i can't wait to try it out and uh hopefully it comes as soon as possible because i can't wait but also in the in the meantime they are doing pre- these public pre-orders and they, they were actually, they were, they announced it in literally like 12 hours later or so, something like that, they were sold out. So unfortunately I didn't able to get to, to let you know in time, if you were interested in checking it out, uh, but they will be doing another public pre-order in a couple of weeks in like mid-September. So if you are interested in it, you should definitely check that out. There's a way, I think you can subscribe to like getting notif- notified, or you can just follow them on Twitter to get notified when they announce it. Cause they also announced it on Twitter. So, another thing that's really cool about this company is I was already a fan of Pine 64 because I actually have, sorry, I had to lean over away from the mic to get this. I actually have a Pinebook original. So, this is the, you know, Pine 64, and this is the Pinebook. Again, I'm sorry for the audio listeners um, because this is also another visual thing but i'll just describe it as best i can so you can see the pinebook is actually a really nice looking laptop it has uh, a fairly decent keyboard it's not the best but when you consider the price it's re- it's really awesome really uh, in comparison uh, also the touchpad is pretty nice and big and it's really re- responsive and i think it has support for two- for multi-touch i mean i think it's two touches but i'm not sure the actual total it has a 1080p Uh, Just display it has a webcam and a microphone and it has support for uh, USB it's got a micro SD card slot, which is also bootable. You can boot with that and It has an HDMI port. So This is a ridiculously cool product because it's only a hundred dollars. It's already awesome But it's also a hundred dollars. It's pretty good even for more than that. It's still pretty good now What's crazy is the new Pinebook Pro is going to be even better than that one, and it's going to be only $199 or $200. Uh, Well, that doesn't count shipping and stuff, and you have to go through customs if you live in a country that requires that. So, sorry about that part. But it is a really cool device, and I can't wait to get the new one because that looks like it's going to be even better than this one. And I'm excited. So, if that wasn't enough, the reason why these these things are so cheap is because the people who develop it are very interested in helping the open source community and helping the Linux community, and just want to give back to those communities because they um, they don't they're they're not doing it for the profit. In fact, they're even giving away some of the profits in general. So they actually they, like this is like pretty much at cost, as well as the new Pinebook Pro is also pretty much at cost. And the new Pine phone that's coming out, they're also making a Pine tab as well, which I can't wait. I'm gonna get all of them because at this point I've kind of become a fanboy, especially because of the stuff that they're doing to give back to the community, in the sense that not only just the prices, but also they're doing like an altruistic thing where they're donating the profits of certain things. Like, for example, when you uh, like the, the Pine phone is at a, is a really low price. And they only make about a ten dollar profit on the phones, but they've also decided to just take those all the ten dollar profits and give them back to the community. And they are doing it in various different ways, like they're going to give it back to the different uh, operating systems that were coming on the Pine Phone in, a, in in an interesting approach of like different batches and stuff. And they'll have that. Uh, they, I'll have a full. I'll just link to the article that talks about this stuff in the show notes because there's a lot of different things and it's hard to describe exactly how they're doing it without reading exactly what they say because they're doing it to um, for example um, if you buy a phone at a given time for a specific batch you might have an os that isn't wasn't on a previous batch but you can you can swap out the os to whatever one that supports the phone anyway so it doesn't really matter when you buy it you can use whatever you want that's one of the cool things about the pine phone but they're going to be giving a percentage of the, the they're giving well all of it all the profit to these these uh projects as well as allowing the community to decide with like a you know like a code when you check out where you want to send the your the money to and that's another really cool thing so Anyway, they're, they're every time they announce something, I just get more and more excited about this company because they're doing such good stuff and their products are really interesting, and they're also doing this thing where they're giving back so much. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I admit it, I'm a fan, and I can't wait to try out the other stuff. Uh, I will definitely be trying out all of it. So I'll make, i probably make a video demonstrating. Actually, I probably, make, I should make a video, like reviewing this thing before the new one comes out because. Then I'll make another one for the anyway. I'll do that. So what's another cool thing about it is that they're very upfront about their products, like the the laptop and the the phone and stuff, they're upfront about it. So if you go to buy the PineBook Pro, they say we don't make we, we make no profit from selling these units. If you think that a minor dissatisfaction such as a dead pixel will prompt you to file a PayPal dispute, then please do not purchase the PineBook Pro. So they're not trying to make money, they're trying to make a product. That is accessible and is basically they even say this in their article or their blog post about how they're trying to help remove the digital divide or the digital gap, and that's just fantastic. And I and I and I totally understand the fact that they're not making a lot of money off it. It's not really for a profit thing. They're doing it for uh, trying to give back to the community and trying to make it possible for people who can't afford really expensive devices to get good devices. So I'm I'm excited. Uh, I think I think I've said that a few times now. So, let's move on, I guess. <laughs> so there's some great news from IBM and that is that they are open sourcing the Power ISA. So if you're not aware, Power is an architecture that built was built by IBM and the ISA is the instruction set architecture and also they they are open sourcing their the key hardware reference designs and some other stuff uh, regarding the so that people can use it for uh, what's really cool is also it's patent inclusive. So it means that if you decide to use the power ISA to for like a, an enterprise company wanting to create a product using it, they can do so without any cost. It's royalty free, including patents, so you don't have to worry about being uh, sued for using it and all this other stuff. It's super awesome because they actually did uh, they are they started the Open Power Foundation in 2013, but it wasn't really fully open. It was it was just kind of open. But now they have announced that the Power ISA is fully open, and you can use it however you see fit, and that is awesome. It it there's so many, there's so much power in well, pardon the pun. There's so much power in the fact that the open source architectures are getting bigger and bigger. So we already have the uh, RISC-V architecture, and it's a fully open source uh, architecture, and now we're going to get the Power system, which is from IBM, which is awesome so uh, there's gonna be a lot of cool things that are probably coming from this but i think the majority of the of the space that they're working on is more of an enterprise stuff and i don't think they're looking at maybe uh, competing in the consumer level with intel and stuff like that but i do think they are uh, trying to do like an enterprise or even a smaller device thing um, depending on different versions of the architecture so like ai servers firmware deep learning that kind of thing I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for. That would kind of make the most sense about what IBM's positioned for. So there's going to be like a battle against uh, ARM and RISC-V and that kind of thing. But uh, it's still awesome that they're doing this because there's a lot of potential. And they're also um, changing it so that the the um, the Open Power Foundation is going to be rolled into the Linux Foundation, so or like folded into it. So like the, the Open Power Foundation no longer exists, and instead the Linux Foundation will be controlling or not really controlling, but like managing. The aspects of the openness of of uh, the power architecture, so that's pretty interesting too. I think this is um I think this is a lot of potential because it makes it where open hardware is becoming more and more important, and this proves that. And I think I think it has the potential to convince other companies to do stuff like this, at least a little bit of openness, Uh you know, because a lot there's a lot of companies that do that create a lot of great hardware but are doing a proprietary thing, so. Maybe they'll see this as an example of what could do, what could happen if you, do, if you embrace the community and see what the community can help you do. Uh, hopefully that's what happens. We'll see. Anyway, if you learn more about this, I'll have a link to the uh, Tech Republic article in the show notes below. Speaking of companies that make good hardware but are proprietary and that's not cool, uh, NVIDIA has announced some new stuff. Uh, well, to be fair to NVIDIA, previous episodes we talked about them open sourcing their documentation for their hardware, so that's cool. Uh, making it more accessible and easier for the Nuvo drivers to create um, software drivers or create drivers for their hardware for Linux users in the open source form, which is cool, but they're not doing it themselves, and it's kind of annoying. But at the same time, they're doing this, which is really cool too, so let's go to that. So the NVIDIA 435.17 beta drivers are adding Vulkan and OpenGL Prime support. Now, this is really cool. It's in beta, just to clarify that again. But with this new driver comes, finally, a, a reasonable support for Prime and multi-GPU uh, usage in, say, for a laptop, for example. So, it has, this driver has a new Prime render offload implementation supported by Vulkan and OpenGL. This Prime offloading is about using one GPU for display and having the actual rendering be done on a secondary GPU. So this is common in like high-end laptops where you have in, like an Intel integrated graphics with an NVIDIA GPU. So there's, that's pretty common these days. But you can, and sometimes we'd have, you'd want to sw- like they basically would re- allow you to switch back and forth. But the Prime system allows you to have one do some part of the work and another one do the other part of the work, uh, which is really really cool because it makes it a lot more you know more efficient and more powerful to have those kinds of laptops. So this NVIDIA Prime render offload support will require some recent uh, commits from the XORG server project, but unfortunately that's not available just yet, so while it's still in beta, the XORG stuff is also kind of in beta for this, however that stuff will be available in 1.21 whenever that releases, but in the meantime they've actually created some Ubuntu PPA that allows you to use the patched XORG server with their their beta drivers, so it is an experimental thing if you want to try it out, because both sides are beta, but if you want to try it out i have a link to it in the show notes so that you can and also might be worth noting that there's also some like xorg.com uh, stuff that you need to mess with and that kind of thing so anyway i'll have a link in the show notes to this article as well as a pharaonics article around it as well so uh, check those out in the show notes so up next we're going to do some housekeeping and this is a segment that I'm just going to cover about things that are happening with the channel and with the show and that kind of thing and just let you know about some certain things that are related to the show. So for example, if you're not aware, there's an audio feed. You can subscribe to the MP3 audio feed by going to tuxedo.com thisweekinlinux or you can just search it in your podcast app. Pretty much every podcast app Podcatcher, will have the show in the search results. If, you have, if you're actually using one that doesn't have it in the social results, let me know because I do want to fix that because I'm pretty sure it's in all of them. It might not be, but it's even in like Spotify and stuff like that. That's not normally for podcast. But anyway, also there is a segment index. If you're not aware what that is, this is a section of the video description as well as the MP3 uh, in a different way, though. But in the video description, if you scroll down, you'll see some timestamps for each of the topics that is covered in this show. And you can skip around to whatever you want to talk about or whatever you want to see. And you can do it also, like if you want to re- watch a couple segments today and a couple segments tomorrow, you can come back and easily get to where you want to go. And it's it works great, and I hope you enjoy it because it allows you to watch whatever part of, you, part of the show you want and at your own pace. So I hope you appreciate that and uh it's also in the mp3 audio version in a bookmarks or a chapter section so depending on how your podcast app works this you know the stuff's in there you can you can jump through that as well also if you'd like to become a patron i would very much appreciate that you could actually support the channel and help make this channel grow and help me make uh, more content on the channel as well as continue to make this show because it does take quite a bit of time if you're if you're not aware making a podcast weekly is a lot of work in fact it's about 20 hours a week so it's almost it's like half a, a full-time job just to make this show so if you are willing to and able to please uh consider becoming a patron you can do so by going to tuxdigital.com patreon or tuxdigital.com sponsors to find out more now there's also perks and rewards by becoming a patron so you can get access to our access to patron only content as well as getting Access to the different shows and different content I make early than everybody else. Uh, so the, all that's available as well. And many more things. You can check out what's in the tiers in the different pages if you go to TuxDigital.com sponsors and TuxDigital.com Patreon to find out more. Also, have you heard about the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt? This is a t-shirt that I designed that celebrates the proliferation of Linux. The concept of the design has Tux blended into the background to convey the message. Even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is this shirt is available from sh- for shipping from north america and in europe so if you go to tuxedo.com slash linux everywhere you can get shipping inside of north america and if you go to tuxedo.com slash linux everywhere eu you can get shipping inside of europe now, this ch- this this shirt supports the channel and this show as well as is just an awesome shirt i mean i like it anyway so i hope you do as well and if you're interested check the links in the description uh, or if you remember them that works too did you know that there's also another great podcast that I'm a part of called Destination Linux? This is a great podcast because it is a discussion podcast where it, it sometimes relates to the news and just gen, Linux in general. Like, for example, this week we had interviews with both uh, Dalton Durst of Ubiports and Simon Steinbeis of XFCE. And they were both great interviews. They're both they're worth checking out and they're in the same episode. So double awesome content for that episode as well. And we also talked specifically about Dalton because earlier in the show, I talked about Ubuntu Touch. We actually had an in-depth interview with Dalton about Ubuntu Touch, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. So uh, check out Destination Linux episode 135 to get all that content and more. So you can subscribe by going to destinationlinux.org next in the show is a really cool app that i want to talk about and that is core control so there's a lot of really great things about amd hardware for linux users such as having really good linux performance being reasonably priced and not having to worry about you know proprietary drivers most of the time when you're using amd hardware and still having really great like gaming experiences and stuff like that but one of the things that it doesn't do that well is having a control center or an application to set uh, change your settings for your Radeon cards and stuff like that. And um unfortunately it's been it's been somewhat ignored by AMD. They they haven't really put much effort into this part even though it's really really highly requested. Um but thankfully a community member Juan Palacios, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong, he was apparently uh, annoyed by that enough to make his own version of Radeon settings for the AMD graphics cards in Linux. And he also released it publicly and is available on GitLab. So in the video version, you can check out the the uh, profile controls view uh, screenshot for this particular application. It has a lot of cool features and I am totally excited to try this out. I haven't tried it yet because I just recently saw it. It was actually just recently announced to the public on the AMD subreddit. Uh, just this week. So you, know, you might, you know, there, I, I can't really make any guarantees or promises about this the software, but I have high hopes for it. So uh, I do look forward to checking it out. Uh, so what this has is it's a very similar layout in con, uh, core control. That that has to um, similar to the way that Windows the version of Windows of Radeon settings panel system works. It even allows you to customize on a per app and per game basis, which is very nice. So that's that's a very useful thing. Then you even it even includes Windows games that I'm not. I guess it maybe does it through Proton or something. I'm not sure how they do that, but uh, I assume that or maybe Wine. Uh, But one of the most really one of the most common requests for this kind of feature is having a robust fan control system or settings to control that stuff and that is also included in core control. So if you are an AMD user and you want to have an application like this, this might be the one for you. So I have a link to core control in the show notes below. And another application I wanted to talk about is Raccoon. This is an APK downloader for Linux. This is very interesting. Now, I have to also let you know, I didn't try this one yet either, but it has potential. Uh, That's why I'm putting it on the show because i just recently found out that this existed and they had an update. So I wanted to cover this anyway. Uh, So Raccoon is an open source uh, tool to download APK uh, files from the Google Play Store. Now, there's a lot of reasons you might want this for having access to applications that are no longer accessible. Uh, for whatever reason or having access to the applications or the apKs that you can have store you can store them uh, on your own devices or you can have a thing where you don't want to use the Google Play services and you want to have them on a phone that uh, that I mean some some of these applications won't work without Google Play services but some of them also might so if you downloaded the files from Google Play and then put them on a phone that didn't have Google Play services you might find that some of them work so, there might be another reason for that, so you can have, you can remove yourself as much as possible from the Google aspects of the Android system, which is a really cool thing to have. I've actually had people ask me, like, how do you get APKs uh, from the Google Play Store, and I don't know, but now I can say Raccoon, so there you go. So if you'd like to learn more about this, uh, I'll have a link to this uh, this website for Raccoon and the APK downloader in the show notes below up next in the show is an application i have used before and this is NativeFire. NativeFire 7.7.0 has been released now the actual release version information is not that big of an issue because there's only a couple things in here like for example they added the ability to control the background color they've made it the default of electron support for 5.x which is an improvement uh, but majority of the time I just I just want to talk about Native Fire anyway because uh, it's a really cool application that I have been using for a long time and I for some reason forgot to tell people about it so uh, Native Fire is a command line tool that makes it easy easy to create desktop applications for any website with a minimal configuration structure using um, really parameters of how you want to set things you can have custom CSS you can have custom JavaScript built into it you can activate flash support you can do all this stuff and it also even automatically retrieves the correct icon and app name and it these apps are wrapped inside of Electron and they're uh, executable in basically any OS or most OS's anyway so it's supported on Linux of course also Windows and Mac if you use those really cool project and I think that Fire is definitely worth checking out. If you have any purpose of having like an individual web app to be a desktop and you want that kind of thing, Fire can provide that really well. I've used it for quite a few things and I think it's a pretty slick piece of software. So there you go. I should probably do a video on it because I do think it is pretty cool. And I'll, and I'll do a video tutorial about how to use Fire because it is, you know, it is an interesting thing, but it also has like a, a little barrier to entry as far as creating these uh, web apps because it's not a GUI-based thing. Uh, but it's still it's it's pretty awesome. So if you want to, you know, before in the meantime, before I get the video out, if you want to go check it out, I have a link in the show notes below. Dell has announced some pretty cool stuff recently, and that is the XPS lineup. of their, their new XPS lineup is going to include a Linux-based laptop. Now, they've done this before with the Project Sputnik. In fact, this is the ninth generation of the laptops inc- for supporting Linux. Now, it's also been a part of XPS as well as the Precision lineup and all this other stuff, so it's not like this is like the first time. This has actually been many times, and this is awesome because there's putting a lot more uh, emphasis on the Linux version from Dell. They still have a little bit of work to do because it's kind of hard to find them, on their website if you if you're not if you don't even if you know what you want it's still kind of hard uh so this is hopefully they actually did talk about this that they're going to be improving that in the future and improving the web like making it easier to find them and that kind of thing on their site so that's great Uh, but this particular uh, xps is the 7390 or the 7390 uh, developer edition xps and this is laptop is going to come with ubuntu 1804 lts It has uh, the uh, the. It's going to feature the new 10th Gen Core U series processors based on the 14 nanometer Comet Lake uh, Intel processors. It's also going to have options for Full HD, which is 1080p, or Ultra HD, which I'm pretty sure is 1440p, and it's going to be up to 16 gigs of RAM available, as well as dual Thunderbolt three connections. This will also be uh, giving options for a quad core Core i five 1021 t- no, wait 102 u sure sure the great code names right there great model names I mean uh la- this laptop will also begin be g- be shipping on September 5th in the US so if you order it now you you should be getting it pretty soon after that uh Europe will also uh, uh oh I'm sorry Europe and US not just US uh they also will be shipping a 6 core core i7 10710u will begin shipping in October. So if you want to gift that one, you might want to wait for that. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to Barton George's blog post about the new releases in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of Netrunner. If you haven't heard, Netrunner is a distribution. They have actually multiple editions, and I'll get to the details about that. But this particular release of 19.08 is based on Debian. It's also codenamed Indigo, and it is based on Debian 10 stable release. So the, the only issue with that is that Debian has a system where all the stable packages stay the same version for a very long time, usually a couple years or three years or so. And it's because they do this thing called uh, freezing. So after a, they have a freeze state point where whatever the package versions are at that time in you know that time period, it's frozen there until the next full release happens now they also have testing and unstable branches we talked about that in the previous episode where i talked about the unstable doesn't really mean unstable and stable doesn't really mean stable but anyway you'll learn more about that i have a link in the show notes to that segment about this topic but moving on Uh, so the packages are 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 fairly old-ish because the way that debian works Uh, And they've decided to make this an LTS version of Netrunner. They also have another version of Netrunner. Actually, two other ones. They have this one, the Netrunner, and they have Netrunner Core, and they have Netrunner Rolling. Netrunner Core is very similar to the regular Netrunner, but it's more of a minimal install. However, it looks like it hasn't been updated in quite a while. So if you want the Debian version, probably should just use the regular one. Um, but if you want a, uh, an Arch-based version, they actually have a Netrunner rolling release. It's not directly based on Arch, it's based on Manjaro. So if you are interested in trying out Manjaro, but you want to have a really heavily customized Plasma experience inside of Manjaro, maybe check out Netrunner because that's kind of what it is. They also have a different... they, they do different things as well on top of that. It's not just like a Manjaro clone or anything, but they do use it as a base. Uh, but there's they actually do a lot of customizations for Plasma with a few things that I think are really good ideas. Uh, so first of all, they have replaced the, the default kickoff menu, which I don't really like anyway, but uh, they replaced it with a simple menu and a dash. Uh, the simple menu is pretty nice, uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, if they also replaced uh, the task manager system with an, a different one, they also have well, by the way, you can do these things yourselves. There's simple is available in the KDE store. You can actually just right click and then go to alter- go to show alternatives on the right click menu and then it'll have like get new alternatives or get new menus or whatever and you can just get them right from there uh, so it's really cool that you can do that in Plasma but you know you'd have to know that you can do that so you can but they did this for you because some of the defaults in Plasma are not the best in fact I don't really like a lot of them they fixed quite a few here too though uh, but they also changed the theme engine to Kvantum that's not really necessary, but it's really nice when they do it because there's some, there's some benefits to Kvantum, uh, extra features and stuff. They also simplify the simp- the system settings by putting all the customizations under Plasma Tweaks. So they've just made it more simple. I mean, it's still system settings. There's still quite a few things, but they actually have improved some of it that way because, you know, system settings system settings is a beast to a lot of people. So actually most people, even me, even though I use it all the time. it Yes, it is. They've also changed it to double click instead of single click because uh, of course for some reason the default in plasma is single click I don't know why I uh, 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 why anyway I'm a fan of plasma not a fan of that because not I'm not saying single click itself must be more specific about this they found it important enough to put it in their release notes and their description about what netrunner is and the reason is because single click might be good for some people. It might be good for you, even. You, you might love it and compare it saying that double click doesn't make any sense. But the default being single click is very weird because there are millions of people who are not expecting that to be the default. And it's going to confuse them very much. So having that as the default is just not a good idea. Whether you like it or not, if you like it, use it, but it shouldn't be default. Moving on from that tangent. Anyway, they also have Quake by default, which is cool because console is a great terminal emulator, and so is YouQuake, but YouQuake also has a drop-down terminal. Actually, actually, what's the purpose of it? And I use YouQuake all the time, so it's really cool to see that has a default option in Netrunner. So I actually, I haven't tried Netrunner myself personally, but I do want to, I think it's really cool. I do. It has a lot of potential and I look forward to trying out this, this release, uh, I might try the Rolling Wind. I might try the new one. I don't know. I might try both. Who knows? Uh, Netrunner is also made by Blue Systems. This is a project ba- made by Blue Systems, and they also make a lot of other cool stuff, including the Calamari's installer that a lot of distros use. So you know, thanks to Blue Systems for all the work you do because there's quite a few things that they do, and it's really awesome. Uh, they even contribute to KDE directly. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Netrunner, I'll have a link to the the 19.8 release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show is an interesting distribution, and that is EasyOS 2.1 has been released. So EasyOS is an experimental Linux distribution which uses many technologies and package formats pioneered by Puppy Linux. Now it's also worth noting that Barry K or Barry Collier, Barry Collier, not sure, sorry. Uh, he also is the guy who started Puppy Linux and is now working on EasyOS so this is really interesting because the distribution has a custom container technology called easy containers which can run applications or even entire desktop environments inside of a container which is very interesting there's uh, there's also this particular release of 2.1 has uh, decided to use package packages from Debian 10 buster now version 2.0 was actually a beta quality so it's kind of weird that the first stable release or official release of it is a 2.1, but you know whatever. Just weren't letting you know it is available as a testing thing. It is still experimental, so keep that in mind. It's still experimental, uh, but it's it's not as it's not as experimental as it used as it was prior to this. So there you go. Uh, the main feature of Easy Buster is that it is built on Debian 10, uh, 10 Buster Deb's using the Woof Q, which is a fork of the Wolf 2 package tools uh, so uh, the the container system can easy containers is a really interesting idea of being able to do all that stuff inside of containers in a very lightweight distribution so i am interested in see what happens with this distribution i don't like the fact that it's called easy os because it implies stuff that's not necessarily true and because people are going to look at easy os and go oh well it must be easy it's not. It's not really meant for the average user. It's not meant for the br- the brand new user from Windows moving over to Linux and then using that. Uh, same thing with Puppy. True too. Is it's not really meant for that. Puppy is really cool and EasyOS seems to be also really cool for what they're trying to do, uh, but for different reasons. Uh, especially like the the layered file system that Puppy has. That's really cool too. Um, but it's not really like EasyOS is probably not the best idea for that. Anyway. If you'd like to learn more about EasyOS, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel and this podcast, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to TuxDigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux Everywhere t-shirt by going to TuxDigital.com slash or if you're in Europe, you can go to TuxDigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, private internet access, and many more by going to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co host of that show. And just a reminder, there's also a lot of, this particular last episode of episode 135 has a lot of great content, so don't, don't miss that one. And also the next episode, 136, which will be released tomorrow, uh, technically, uh, tomorrow. So that will be awesome. And it has Zeb's return as the co host of the podcast. So check that out as well. Anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tonnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.